want the money. I want the title. And I can get it because I'm already doing the work. You've thought it. Now it's time to actually believe it. You're listening to Her Next Career Move, the safe space where you'll learn how to stop your mind from career blocking you so you can claim the wealth and work you deserve. I'm Dr. Jasmine Escalera, a career-minded Latina turned Forbes featured coach, and I'm ready to have some candid conversations about how you can build the confidence to step into the career you know you deserve. All right, now let's get going. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Her Next Career Move. This episode is really special to me because, tell you what, my career changed when I did this one thing. I started to learn to love myself. Yes, I started to learn to love every single aspect of me, my story, my background, where I came from, my culture. And that love of myself allowed me to bring my whole, true, authentic self to work. And we talk a lot about how do we do that? Can we really do that? Can you be authentic at work? And for me, it all started with self-love. And so when I thought about the topic of self-love, I had to bring on the most amazing leadership coach for women of color that I could find. Nadia, welcome and join me to the podcast episode. Thank you so much, Jasmine. I'm like clutching my heart and my chest just hearing that incredible intro. Thank you. Absolutely. I remember starting as a career coach and you were one of the first coaches that I followed, you and Cynthia Pong. And the reason why I followed you both was because not only are you badass women of color, but you're so authentic with your content. You really put yourself out there and you talk about very vulnerable pieces of you. Thank you. Yeah. And I actually met Cynthia Pong on LinkedIn too, online. And she was one of the first other coaches that I saw claiming and saying, I'm working with a woman of color. And I had to connect with her too. So very similar, felt aligned and resonant. And when I started seeing your content growing and the consistency you put in and the impact that you make in everything you write, I just, I'm so glad we're connected. Oh, me too. Me too. And it makes me really want to know your story. Like I have to know the journey (laughs) of what got you to your business. And was there anything like personal that brought this whole, I want to be a coach. I want to support women of color leaders. Tell me, I need the deets. Okay. There's so much. I was like, how long can this episode be? (laughs) As long as you need it. (laughs) (laughs) We could go off. But you know, when it comes down to starting the business, I didn't know I was going to be a business owner. I actually grew up with immigrant parents from the Philippines, part of the Philippine XOA diaspora. And I grew up seeing their version of the quote unquote American dream. They were business owners And it came with a lot of struggle and a lot of challenges. And I actually remember going into college, graduating from college, and explicitly, directly saying, I will never be a business owner. (laughs) I will never do that. I will never go through those challenges. Um, I feel like we're already going in the realm of a lot of money mindset work I had to do in my journey, (laughs) in my business journey and work journey. But I was like, I'd rather work for somebody and just do a nine to five. I don't need that pressure. I don't need that. So I, I still find it very interesting that I find myself here today. But through a series of different career moves and jumps and industry changes from even what I originally studied in college, which was audio engineering, I eventually landed in tech sales. And I worked in enterprise tech sales for booking.com and account management and also did traditional straight up startup as like, let's say like employee number 25 for a company called HelloSign that is now Dropbox Sign since they were acquired. And I was their first account manager, helped build the sales processes and team, et cetera. And I was so unfulfilled and so unhappy. 
I don't know many people who go into sales that didn't fall into sales. <laughs> um, not to say that doesn't exist, but I felt like I fell into sales and just I have learned that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that profession for me, that role in the industry was one of them. And I was so unfulfilled, so unhappy. Um, and what really got me to realize that this wasn't for me and to admit it and to take action and leave tech eventually was therapy. So I started therapy in my 20s. I was the first person in my family to do it. And I did it candidly because I was going through an immigration process with my husband that we got married at the time. And it was really tough and I needed help. I couldn't handle it. I needed support to process it. And I wanted to only talk about that. But, you know, when you enter things like therapy, suddenly <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to talk about my mom. I'm going to talk about my family. I'm going to talk about my dynamics and friendships. I'm going to talk about work. And all that I kept coming to was I'm burnt out. I'm overwhelmed. I am so upset at the state of work culture, no matter where I went. If I did freelance work in audio, if I worked at restaurants, which I did, I worked my butt off when I was doing freelance audio work and in college. Um, if I'm in an enterprise company, a global company of over 12,000 people, if I'm employee number 25 in a startup, it's the same shit, different place. <laughs> and diversity, equity, and inclusion didn't exist back then. And now I have the words to explain why I needed to go. And it's because these systems of oppression and inequities existed and I knew I was rubbing up against them. Like I hated playing the bureaucracy, the politics, but I was damn good at it, right? I knew how to advocate for myself. I knew how to close my wage gap when I found out that somebody that my white male counterpart, for instance, was getting paid more than me, 20K, 20% plus more than me. And I worked to close that gap, right? Made a lot of mistakes along the way. But the fact that what I knew was this kind of race, this capitalism, this like doesn't include human-centered leadership, doesn't take into account my experience as a marginalized person, as a daughter of immigrants, as a brown person, as a woman, and I don't belong here in this system was kind of what got me to really say, I'm unhappy. I don't love what I'm doing. And I don't love this version of me, even if I'm making a shit ton of money, <laughs> right? So um, therapy helped me leave and admit, I saved a lot of money. I took my own self-funded career sabbatical, took a year off with my husband. Um, we settled his immigration process. And in that process, I learned about really what coaching was. I hired my first coach. I was blown away at what they were able to pull from me or like allow me to pull from myself in just 10 minutes alone in our first call. And it felt like I was finally healing a part of myself that needed to act and integrate all the healing into action. And I decided to learn coaching, decided to get certification during my sabbatical, whether or not I be quote unquote became a coach or started a business. It was just something that I knew was right for me. And I just saw myself for the first time ever in that training. Like I really unlearned a lot of things that I didn't know were closed up inside that I didn't know were hidden away, were dead inside even, some of them. And it opened up myself to me and my intuition and confidence. And I'll never forget that journey. And basically, I kept hiring coaches like business coaches, other coaches, and kept thinking anytime I spoke to one, they're like, well, what do you want in a business? How come you're not going back to tech? How come you're not going back to your nine to five? And I would just break down and cry. And that was just my body telling me, you ain't ready to go back yet. So don't go back yet. And so I started coaching. That's that's where we're, we're here today. Um, I'll stop there. I, I can keep going on and on. But really, it was it was the only option that felt right at the time after creating a lot of space for myself to really see who am I, what do I really want in this life? 
I love your story because it it's so similar in a lot of ways to my story where I felt so misaligned. I felt like I was doing work that I actually did enjoy, but there was something missing in terms of support, culture, opportunity for growth. And I couldn't put my finger on it either because we didn't have, or we weren't talking about things like toxic work cultures. Yes. We weren't talking about how these toxic work cultures induce trauma and the healing that needed to be done if you were in these kinds of work environments and how they beat down your confidence. So same, I, I just felt like there was something off. And I also <laughs> got my own coaches and support yeah. and therapy, and that helped me transition. Now, I want to kind of ask you a question here because I get asked this question a lot, and I'd love to turn it on you. So you were talking about being burnt out, overwhelmed, upstate, upset with the state of work and feeling like you don't belong here. And here we are, both of us, coaching <laughs> women of color to navigate these environments and, in fact, teaching them how to stay in this system. Talk to me a little bit about how you help clients who actually were you. Yeah, yeah. It's such an interesting thing because I know I followed your content and feel like we're so aligned that I know we're, we're not just having them stay, helping them stay. We're helping them stay and disrupt right? We're helping them stay and change things from the inside. And so the way I really look at this is I opted out so that I could help other people stay opted in because we really do need us everywhere. We need BIPOC women and femmes. We need marginalized voices in every single industry, in every single company, right? Otherwise tech is racist, sexist, ableist, et cetera, all those things. Um, and other industries too, medicine, marketing can be oppressive. Everything can be oppressive, even coaching, right? And so I am delighted to support leaders in disrupting harmful systems. And that starts from within. And so what we do in our coaching, so I am the founder of Real You Leadership, and I've been running this for about six or so years now. And we've done one-on-one -on -one coaching. We've done group coaching for six months, 10 months, 10 weeks. We're, we're doing a 10-week group coaching program now called Activate Your Voice that will be solely around the six, seven years of all the work we have done around helping people do negotiation work and leadership work. So as a leadership and negotiation coach, all I know is that we got to activate our voice right? What, no matter how much mindset work we do, emotional work we do, um, even physical embodiment work that we do, or somatic work we do in coaching, it comes down to, are you going to say the thing or not? Are you going to say the thing you have in your heart? Say the vision, the dream that you have in your mind. Say the thing that you know your team, your communities, whether in and out of work need, and say what you need in this relationship, in this team, in this role, in this company. And so what we do is help women and femmes of color get to that, get to their voice, which means you're loving up on yourself, which means you're connecting with your intuition. You are learning what confidence looks like for you, not for anybody else, but for you. And you're taking up space in any room, no matter what part of your life you're in. And outside of individual coaching programs, we also do teamwork. So we're teaching majority people managers how to receive that, especially if you're a non-woman of color, right? How are you receiving someone advocating to you that this isn't good enough, that I have these boundaries, that I have these expectations, that I need this from you? I need more than what was offered. How are you actually allowing that to be part of the culture of your team and your organization with psychological safety, as you say. And also we're teaching, we're doing um, in-house cohorts for our group coaching program for companies where they're high potential rising or established leaders, especially who are BIPOC women and femmes, are able to grow together so that we could actually change the fabric of what leadership looks like from the inside of these companies, which is very exciting to me. Um, I hope I answered your question, but how we really do that is through coaching, which is a very deep 
intentional way to get back to you and to be honest with yourself, even about things that you might not want to say out loud, even to yourself about these are my deepest fears. This is what I'm worried about speaking up for. This is what I'm scared is going to happen to me, the worst case scenario. And how do we move beyond that? How do we act from our vision versus our current vantage point that's laced and full of all the things that we wish we could avoid or try to control, like the biggest failures from not happening, right? <laughs> and so it is a lot of work. What what it really is, is it's about creating a safe container, regardless if it's a workshop or one-on-one coaching or a group collective learning experience that we get people to be honest so that they can really do the work, not the fake work, not the things they think they should do, but the things they know are really right for them. So I heard so much there. I mean, I love what you do. I mean, I really do. I have personally visited your website multiple times because oh I'm just like, yeah, no, seriously, because it gives me so much inspiration just for just every woman out there who was me. <laughs> every woman out there who was you, right? I yeah. love how you're talking about advocating for yourself, using your voice, touching that part of you that really knows what it wants and speaking those words and feeling confident enough to know that whatever is inside is truly the truth and you have to let it out. So there were so many times in my career where, man, I wish, I wish that I had that confidence to just not just tap into that space, but to really let that space out. I, I think about that too. Go ahead. <laughs> No, I just I just want to reiterate that I love what you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I I think about that all the time and I just got goosebumps hearing you say that where I can't I'm sure you think when you get off a really amazing client call or you see results from your clients doing the damn thing and I'm sure you get that feeling where like I really wish I had this when I was still in corporate, right? Like I wish I went like we are really building things that we know our younger versions of ourselves, the younger or previous professional versions of ourselves really needed and wanted and could have absolutely potentially stayed opt-in in if we, if we had this type of support that understood where we were at and what, what we needed to express in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I, I sometimes look at myself and I'm like, damn, I wish I had you when I was younger. <laughs> talk about that. We are healing ourselves for sure. And that's part of it, right? This is why I started the business where I'm like, if I could keep doing this work that allows me to heal part of me, hell yeah, man, I'm down to do this forever if I can. Absolutely. And I, I very often have thanked my clients at the end of sessions because I'm saying things to them that I know I even need to hear now. Like I need to hear this right now. So I'd love to jump into our topic, which is self-love. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because I don't know that people connect self-love and career. So I'd really love to ask you, why self-love? Like, what inspired you to focus on self-love and its connection to career and career growth? Yeah, I mean, something that comes out a lot in my coaching sessions with clients is why are you even doing this? What is the point? Yes, we want more money. We want more recognition. We want our next level roles, paychecks, et cetera, that promotion. Um, some of us even want to be seen, like some of my clients even want to be seen on billboards. You know, they have these big dreams that say, I want to be on billboards. I want to make a big ass impact in this world. I want to have it all. And I deserve that. And what do you really need to power that? It's a love of self, right? When I tell people about self-advocacy work, which is what taking the lead, growing your career, negotiating, et cetera, is, that is just a form and one of the biggest expressions in your professional life of self-love you can do, right? I say being a leader is self-love because you're daring to be seen, 
And if you're daring to be seen, you better love what you're seeing in there, right? And that's where I think a lot of us feel that friction and that discomfort and that fear that pops up that says, how dare you be seen? How dare your voice be heard? Who do you think you are? Take a step back, sit down, prove yourself first. You're not there yet. Things that play into the imposter phenomenon pop up. Scarcity pops up saying, if you say this, you're going to get in trouble. If you are seen in any way where the quote unquote powers that be your stakeholders might find is wrong or offensive or, you know, oversteps your boundaries in the hierarchy order that you might disrupt, right? If you quote unquote rock the boat, you'll be hurt. You'll be rejected. You'll be shamed. You'll be humiliated. All those things are there. So to f- go beyond that shit, all of that inner hating talk, all of that garbage that we feed ourselves, I see that as straight up internalized oppression. That's what they want us to believe. And to actively go against that and dare to show up differently and activate your voice and lead in your life and in your career is self-love. To negotiate is self-love. To say, I deserve more is self-love. To say, I can be leading this whole team is self-love. I don't know how and there's any other way to see it in my mind. And anytime it comes down to it, you could get all the strategy in the world all the coaching in the world. But if you don't love yourself enough to try (laughs) to just see what's possible, we hold ourselves back, right? Because at the end of the day, it comes down to, okay, if my worst fear happens, which it happens with some of our clients, I'll be real. Some of our clients do get that retaliation. Some of our clients do get rejected. Some of our clients do experience um, a huge dissonance with their stakeholders when they say this isn't good enough anymore, right? And their worst fears come to life. But when they love themselves enough to see what's possible and they love themselves enough to ask for help from their support system and community, which we always coach them to do, they're unstoppable. And they see, oh, that wasn't the worst thing that happened. The worst thing that happened and was happening was that I didn't love myself enough to even try. And now my worst, the worst case scenario just played out and I can handle it. I can either move on. (laughs) I can either keep pushing because when you negotiate, know that that's a series of conversations. When you set boundaries, best believe you got to reset them over and over again throughout time. Or I can do my own thing, maybe start a business if I'm over, you know, I don't want to stay in this certain system, this way of working and providing for myself. The sky is the limit when you love yourself because you will know that you got your back no matter what. So I can keep going on and on, but that that really is just after years of coaching, all I can see is this is the biggest expression of love, um, even for myself, right? Um, I remember when I was at my most miserable working in tech and having crying on the bathroom floor moments. I remember I have it in my notebook still. Uh, at the time, because I'm just like a notebook hoarder, basically, (laughs) I can't stop. But from even it's either 2016 or 2017, I wrote, if I could love every day for a living, this that, you know, like, that would be it. That's the when I was brainstorming, how can I pivot out of tech sales? What could I do? That was the only thing that came up. And I do believe I found that. And I get to love myself every time I show up. I get to love my team and I get to love my clients every time and witness them start to love themselves every single time without fail, no matter what the program is, if it's around negotiation, leadership, et cetera. Know that when you work with me and my team or any coach like our expansive community is full of, you will love yourself more, period. That's that's it. That's part of the deal. You don't get to just learn how to advocate and negotiate and, you know, build a resume or something, you get to love yourself. That's that's a non-negotiable for me. Wow. There's so much that you said there and so much that I want everyone to listen to a multitude of times because I never put the words so beautifully as you have that negotiation is loving yourself. Leadership is loving yourself. Like that was so incredibly powerful. And I think you're right. 
we don't love ourselves enough to try because we are scared of what is going to happen, of the potential backlash that will happen when we start to set boundaries, of the potential backlash that might happen when we start to advocate for ourselves. And I have to tell you in the God honest truth, and I don't talk about this very often because I think it's something that I'm still even myself healing. When I started to love myself enough to speak up, to advocate for myself, to push back, I actually got an immense amount of retaliation, so much so that I was a director-level individual who got all of her projects taken away and got downgraded to basically scheduling white men's travel arrangements as a director. And it was all because I started putting up the boundaries. And I started loving myself enough to say no. And I had to leave that organization. But when I did, I was so proud of myself because I had stayed there for years, years. And it took me loving myself enough to do everything that you said to finally walk out the door. So you're absolutely right. It all starts with self-love. Yeah. I am sending so much love to that version of you that got you here today. You did that. And the word that's you this is why you are so ready to take on all of this with your clients, to be that partner with them, right? This is why we do this because we have those experiences where like, yeah, that's a reality. I'm not going to sugarcoat this and say that you might when you learn this skill set and learn how to advocate or lead in your career, that you're never going to have that resistance or retaliation. It's just not true, unfortunately. There are a lot of bad people out there who don't know how to regulate their own nervous system and their activations like we have learned how to do. And so they will project so many things onto us. And I'm so upset that happened to you and all of that happened to you. And I'm so glad that you saw that, okay, this is happening. It's time to go. And I love myself enough to do that too. Yes. And I believe, and thank you so much. I'm accepting all of those beautiful words. And I think when you start to love yourself and you start to set those boundaries, the funny thing about it is then you don't tolerate anything less. So I think that's the trigger for you to then say, okay, now as this loved version of me and as this person who knows more of what she wants and knows what her boundaries are, what's the environment that is going to allow me to bring this version of me into this space. And you start to look at the job search, your career environments in a completely different way. Yes. And you start to interview completely differently. You ask different questions that are actually meaningful to you, not just things that will get you the job, you know, of I actually have a choice here. You see more choices than you ever thought you had. Absolutely. So tell me, do you have a client story that kind of goes into all of this? Because I would love it in like a practical way of how do you help your clients develop this sense of self-love? So our three-part framework in Real You Leadership is radical vision. So being a radical visionary, daring to dream, daring to say that I have a vision for myself in my life and I'd like to share it with others so that I can build the community that I need to actually make that happen. Because this current support system you have today might not be who gets you there. And we never do it alone. I always say we're community-made, not self-made. And so part of that visioning work is understanding and aligning with your values, which you know is the guiding force, right? If we are in what I call inner hater talk, which could be self-sabotaging thoughts, etc., gremlins, shadow voices, whatever you want to label it as or frame it as, one of the best ways for us to stop making decisions from those inner hater voices or our deeper fears is to swap it out with a value and come through with, okay, so my top two values, for instance, are love and integrity. If I am going to dream up the best option, the best work environment for me, the best vision for my life that I have, 
I'm not going to come from these fears. I would rather come from love and integrity. So let me put that on. Let me put those glasses on. (laughs) I look at this with love. It's actually going to look very different from when I look at it with integrity too. So I might only solely choose to embody love as I move forward, or I might do just integrity or do a mix of both. And our values change over time. But part of that is to dare to dream, which a lot of children of immigrants like you and I, like you and me, and a lot of women of color are not allowed to dream a lot in our lives. You know, my my dreams were supposed to be be a doctor, lawyer, or nurse and have children. That's what my mom wanted for me. That was the dream that was fed to me. So we always say, not your mom's dreams, not your parents' dreams, not your boss's dreams, not even the dreams of your peers in the same industry. It's got to be yours. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. And the second piece is you got to move forward and set values aligned goals that are digestible as you move forward. And then you got to tell people what your dreams are. We actually challenge people to tell X amount of people what you just dreamt up in your North Star, where you're headed. And it scares the crap out of them because that's the the part that says, who am I to think that? And that's one, these are some of the first points of loving yourself. But are you, do you love yourself enough to say, I am at least allowed to dream? (laughs) You know, like maybe... I might not get there, but the least I can do is give myself permission to do that, to vision. And there's so much more to it. Lots of mindset work there. And then we do activate your voice, which is all the advocacy work. And that's what our new program is solely based on, but it's going to take elements from all three pillars, but we're, we're going to be more like activated action forward. And that is about negotiating, learning the art of influence, getting your mutually beneficial relationships at the best connection points possible, deepening connection with stakeholders and building community, et cetera, managing up, down, all around, all that stuff. It's all love. And so when we're teaching our clients, for instance, how to negotiate and they say, oh, I couldn't possibly ask for that. That sounds too much. Who says? It typically is that, right? It's typically this voice that says, I cannot allow you to do that because then we are in danger. And so that's another connection point of self-love. Do you love yourself enough to just see what's possible? Because we also do market research and we lean on data and the data says you're being underpaid. (laughs) So love yourself enough to see what's possible and at least present the data, right? There's no one way to do it, but all these points to share yourself, to activate your voice, all is love. Because at the end of the day, you know, maybe they do it and they're actually down to do it. We have clients who are like, yep, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. But then they spiral afterwards because they get emotional exhaustion. And so there's another point of love where we tell them when you do this advocacy work, this career growth, leadership growth work, you got to love yourself so much more. You got to up your self-care plan. You have to multiply it by 10, sometimes 100. When I do things that scare me, like certain leadership workshops, especially, I'll be honest, with majority power leaders who are typically white men, white women, and non-BIPOC folks, I get so in my trauma and old work trauma, and I get so activated. I know I have to do my self-care plan and self-love plan leading up to it. I have things that I do during the workshop and then I go straight into my self-love plan afterwards because I know I will spiral and make up stories about myself (laughs) that I know aren't true that, oh, this sucked, you suck, you shouldn't have done this, you could have done this better, they hate you, they hate your content. (laughs) Those voices are real for me too. So we have to plan for that as we activate our voice in ways we've never done before. And the last part is expansive value. That's the last part of our framework where it really is about providing a value that ex- an impact that expands beyond you. So how are you lifting up others as you go? Because people who love themselves, you know, this is where it's just, I want you to have loved yourself so much that yes, now you have space and overflow to love others versus only pouring into others and loving them without knowing what it is to do that to yourself. So that's the final piece. There's a lot of different practices in there, but Regardless of which piece a client can focus on, because not everybody needs to negotiate when they work with us. Not everybody needs a new job. Some people just really want to get confident, et cetera. Regardless of which piece you focus on, we make sure that 
we ask them in our coaching work, so what's important about this to you? And it typically leads to a version of, it's about loving myself. I love that. And there's so many things that you touch upon in in your framework. And what kept coming to me was the mindset and the beliefs and how the mindset and the beliefs really connect to and attach to self-love. And then how you are or are not doing things that you should be doing. And even when you talked about the money piece of, oh my goodness, that's too much to ask for. Well, who told you it was too much to ask for? Well, it's, it's something that you've built up in your head. So I'm curious to know when you went on your self-love journey or when your clients go on their self-love journey, like how much of this really is not even yours? <laughs> How much of these thoughts and beliefs that are impacting your self-love don't even freaking belong to you? I just want to give it back to where where the fuck it came from. <laughs> like I'll be honest. For real. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because it hits something hard in me too. Um my my arms just got goosebumps thinking that, like, oh, I can I can write a book of how much these aren't mine. <laughs> Um, I'll speak on my own self-love journey. And this is what happens with a lot of clients most of the times, especially when you are a part of, you know, a diaspora, children of immigrants. Most of it is not mine. It's my mom's. And some of it isn't even my mom's. It's my grandma's. And who knows where she got it from, right? So there's so much we inherit that is good intergenerationally from our communities and our parents and We got to admit there are some things that we don't need to keep that are not ours. Part of my self-love journey, candidly, was realizing that my mother doesn't know self-love. And that makes me emotional just thinking about it. Like, I'm sure she loves herself, but she doesn't know what it means to practice self-love the way that we do right? To say, I love myself enough to do this. I love myself enough to do that. Like my mom is literally still telling me she follows, she follows my uh, Facebook page that is linked to my Instagram account that I, I do not maintain that Facebook business page at all. It's just like a straight up linked from Instagram. And she will call me sometimes and say, why are you cussing on your content? And are you teaching your clients to do that? Are you teaching your clients to say those things? You're going to get them in trouble. You know, like she literally still says that after all these years, it doesn't matter how long I've been business. It doesn't matter how many features on media, traditional media outlets she's seen. It doesn't matter how much I tell her my clients are doing so well and this, that. She still gets that fear and it activates in her. She jumps on it. She projects it onto me and I go, oh, that's where that's where that voice came from that told me not to rock the boat, right? Or she will tell me, um, you know, like she will be super scarce for me just by reading one of the news and say, oh my gosh, the tech industry isn't doing well. Like you're not going to be okay. You know, and it's just like, why are you saying that? Um, I know that voice is still very active externally. That external voice is still very active for me. And then, you know, some of it is really truly internalized oppression of our communities and our ancestors and our people. I really believe that, that a lot of us came from communities and cultures and people that were enslaved, that were made chattel labor, that were made cheap labor, right? And colonialism, imperialism, all of that, that's not that far away from our generation, from our lives. And the messaging that I'm sure many of them got was, you weren't allowed to rest. You weren't allowed to care for yourself. You weren't allowed to love yourself. You had to work and produce. You had to be perfect or else you will get in trouble if you weren't. And so I know that is part of it too. And then I know some of this is just straight up from me and my own work trauma that I've gotten and navigated through that when I started, say, a couple of years ago, doing people manager workshops and trainings, for instance, I'll bring it up again for majority power leaders and managers in organizations that we did do workshops for their BIPOC women and femmes. And then they said, how about you train the other side? Oh my gosh, Jasmine, I can't even tell you what I felt. Like I felt like I was 
my survival mode from five years, six years ago when I was still in tech activated again. And I had sleepless nights. I was like, am I going to be in danger entering these rooms with majority power leaders? Are they going to think that I ain't shit, that this, that? I couldn't believe what my body was experiencing because I had coached women of color solely for years. And I recognized, oh my God, this is my growth edge. I have to love myself even more and this past version of me because I don't even think I'm in danger right now, but a past version of me that still lives in me does. And she is crying right now. And I have to love up on her. I have to say, I see you. I'm going to take care of you. And we're different now. We're not the same people we were before. And that was just huge for me to realize like, ooh, that isn't even mine anymore. That's, I mean, it is, but it isn't, right? Like I thought I moved on, but I never actually faced it. So this is the time to face it. And I'm still healing that part, as you said about other things. Like we're still healing that part that it doesn't end. But I know that some of these voices are mine and many of them are not mine. And when you can see that, like, I'm glad you put that distinction in your question, because when you can see that, then it is easier to start practices to shift away from that. Absolutely. It helped me a lot when I was going through my journey to really recognize, oh, wait a second, this doesn't actually belong to me, but it is impacting me. And how can I let it go and be grateful, right? Because there are these interesting versions of us or versions of beliefs that we have and that we carry that got us to where we are. I mean, my my parents' version of work and hustle got me through my PhD at Yale. It got me through, you know, working my butt off to do all of the work that I do on myself. It got me through some of the hard times in my business and just growing that. So there's those pieces of us that we can be grateful for, but we don't have to build or allow that to be the foundation of how we work or how we move or how we really move through the world as the new version of ourselves with the privileges that we have that our families work so damn hard for. So I love this. I I love everything you were talking about. And the reason why I wanted you to come onto the podcast also was because you have that duality of working with the clients, but also working with corporate. And I I know you talked about this being a bit triggering in terms of like, oh, an (laughs) older version of me still feels unsafe. So it the work world can be unsafe t- at times and it, and some environments can be unsafe. So what is the conversation that you have with leaders in particular about cultivating a culture of self-love and accepting these practices that we want to bring into the workplace of self-love and advocacy that you've been talking so much about? What do you do with them to get them to understand that this should be a part of the work culture and should be accepted? Yeah, I think that's I think that's such a great question. And even the fact that we're having this conversation, I want everybody to know this can be possible and that we should have these conversations because what I've recognized working with any coaching client is we're all just guessing, right? We're all just doing the best we can with what we got and judging ourselves along the way and hoping nobody finds out. And some of us do dare to be more vulnerable and say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not perfect. This, that. And then we get support. Then we get community. Then we get understanding. Then we get empathy. But what I find with most leaders is They will never, they will fight tooth and nail to be able to never admit that they don't know what they're doing, that they don't got a hold on it. They don't have a hold on their team, that they don't have time, that they're burnt out and can't do all the things a leader needs to do, you know? And so we have to normalize that. We need to create space and psychological safety on all our teams. Because I'll I'll be honest, like one of my biggest learnings doing a psychological all people manager training. Um, we did a series of three workshops for, I believe, a total of about 40, 50 leaders. I thought I was going to go all in, <laughs> guns and blaze, and be like, this is why you need to create. We did it around creating psychological safety for your teams and designing psychological safety for your teams. 
I thought I was going to go all in. I'm representing the BIPOC women and femmes that I coach and thinking of them and what I know they want every leader to know about why we don't feel psychologically safe in these spaces. Come to find that these leaders during the Q&A, they were like, I don't feel psychologically safe doing what I need to do to advocate for even my skip levels, right? To be able to set boundaries for my team that they need in order to feel psychologically safe. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just like this, that opened up so much for me to really recognize like, damn, we're really all just, we are, this is where that quote, your liberation is tied with mine. My liberation is tied with yours. I am not free unless you are free. You are not free unless I am free. And we all really need to recognize that everybody deserves safety. Everybody deserves wellness. Everybody deserves to have a full life that is not tied to the productivity of their career and their work. And we we can all still go all in on our work when we are clocked in. You know, know, the, the world does not need to stop if we love ourselves more and we need more rest and we need to go a different pace and we need to have less meetings, et cetera. And so how I really start that conversation is typically organizations will bring me in to do a workshop to empower their women of color or their BIPOC ERGs, for instance, or their high potential women leaders. And I will always say, sure, absolutely. Let's work on that. But what I started to say was, and how are you preparing your people managers to receive that? Because I cannot in good conscience help you empower, you know, I'm a one, these aren't my ongoing coaching clients sometimes, right? We're going to have maybe one workshop, maybe quarterly workshops, et cetera. But if they start practicing what I'm going to encourage them to practice from a place of love and excitement and confidence and your people managers, their stakeholders aren't ready to receive that and they might shut them down, then we're going to have a problem. And this is a waste of everybody's resources. And so we want to make sure that you are preparing your people leaders to understand the work that these coaching clients do, these women of color do, to really dare to take up space. Um, And it will always start with psychological safety. That is non-negotiable baseline. We have to have that. And in order to have every leader stay in, you know, when I say self-love for them, I really talk about community care inside even a corporate world. Like how are you practicing community care for everybody and your wellness? And that also includes you, dear leader, right? You get to be part of that community care. How are you taking care of yourself? How are you recognizing and building your self-awareness around your activations too? Because we really need to understand that in order to know When we build these work relationships, we don't fall into this idea that we have to be perfect either. You know, I love this conversation and it really got me thinking almost kind of the work that you're doing, don't assume that your leaders or managers aren't also needing of the same work. And it it sort of brought me to this place of compassion almost that, you know, baseline as humans, we just have to be more compassionate to one another. And, you know, you are ready for this journey and, you know, giving some compassion that the leader that you are working with may not have the capability to do the journey or have the journey or have done the journey. And so it's a, it's a lot of compassion that I'm feeling coming from this of, you know, both ways, like managers and leaders being compassionate and open and creating safety for individuals who are doing this work. But how can we also look up and show compassion to the leaders and ask, you know, is this even available to you? Mm, yeah, that's such a good point. And that experience, that example I shared with you or that leader told me, I don't even feel psychologically safe. I am really trying to advocate for my team here and I'm getting told tough luck. What do I do in those instances? And in my head, I thought that leader was, you know, the one who needed to be the person that was convinced, 
right? And so it did bring up a lot of compassion, a lot of understanding. And that's part of it. And if we can, if we can all do the work to do that for ourselves, we don't need to get it, get that compassion and validation so much with other people. Because I do think that so many people don't know how to forgive themselves for not being, quote unquote, whatever version of perfect their minds are telling them they have to be. <laughs> and we really can help us build more sustainable, safer you know, thriving workplaces if we all learn how to practice even that more self-compassion. Absolutely. I love this. I have a question for you that I've never asked someone before, and I feel compelled to ask you. You're doing so much work on helping BIPOC women, femmes, really develop this sense of self-love that is going to truly transform the workplace, like you said. And you're also tackling it from the other way of really thinking about corporate spaces and how to train leaders and how leadership can be better at supporting self-love. So let's look forward 15, 20 years from now. What do you hope is happening in the workplace? And how do you hope that it's transformed by then? Wow. Okay. I'm going to sit with that a little bit. (laughs) Ooh, I love that this is the first time you're asking this. And I had to ask you specifically. I don't know why I felt called to ask it, Nadia, but like I really, I feel like you'll have just such a, a beautiful painting that, you know, you talked a lot about vision and I think you've got this beautiful vision in there for where you see the workplace going and how you fit in that transformation. And I am just so freaking eager to to tap into that vision and see it with you. The thing coming up inside of me, I'm like literally holding my chest again and closing my eyes and trying to get there. And I'm thinking of every single one of the clients I've ever worked with, my team and I have ever came across. And all I'm seeing is showing up as their real selves unapologetically is the last thing on their, you know, to do, right? They just, they just do it. They just are, right? And that requires so much psychological safety again and understanding. But more importantly, what I'm envisioning is, or actually not more importantly, but just as importantly is everybody is keeping it real. Everybody said, yes, we got goals to hit. We have quotas to meet. We have this vision. And we have restorative care in our corporate world. Oh, I'll share something that I've been I've been noodling on and trying to think about what I want to write in a post around this. Um, I thought about PIPs, performance improvement plans. And, you know, I've been on them before in a whole team level where the whole team had to be on a PIP, unfortunately. And apparently it wasn't a quote unquote real PIP, which I'm like, okay, another broken system. I've had clients who, when they started to speak up, suddenly they were on a PIP, even if they totally hit all their goals quarter after quarter. What I think about is restorative justice and restorative care, right? Even in our prison system, et cetera, I do envision that the workplace and what we set the tone for and the standard for actually always overflows into home life, into the rest of the world. So we really need to be so critical. I envision all leaders really understanding that link. (laughs) And, you know, I think about people not going to prison, but restorative justice, what that could really look like. So I think about Maybe wouldn't it be cool if 10 years from now, there's no such thing as a performance improvement plan and it's a community care plan where the whole community gets together and says, how do we support you versus your HR, your people ops or your manager saying, here's your 30 day plan. Good luck. I don't know what to tell you and absolutely zero support, which happens all the time. So things like that are non-existent. I envision a world where pay transparency is hundred percent available and The systemic part is solved for where people don't have to guess, how do I ask for a raise? How do I get a promotion? What does it mean to get to the next level? It's all laid out. It's clear. And there's somebody available for you to really talk through and create a plan with you, right? And I envision a work world where everybody just gets to keep it real and every leader doesn't 
have to have the pressure of being this bold, brilliant, ambitious person. And they just get to say, I'm here because I need to make money. I'm really damn good at this. And let's do the best we can, okay? And I don't know everything. And that's why we get to work together. That's why we get to figure it out. And um, I know that, that that's really what's coming up for me. And people managers learn how to cultivate anything like this, get the proper training from the beginning, day one. You need to learn how to make psychological safety. You need to learn about DEI. You need to learn about intersectionality and how different dynamics will show up with you being in a position of power um, as a people manager, for instance. And to understand the mindset and the cultural piece of work. And you need to learn what it means to actually have critical conversations and uncomfortable conversations where a team member says, this isn't good enough and make sure you don't perpetuate more harm. That is what I would love. (laughs) So I think that we could focus more on so many other impactful things and actually get to a different type of productivity that I don't think a lot of people get to experience in the current workplace. I will say like I have two team members and I really believe that if I can do this with two employees, I can do this with more, right? And what we do is we really talk through everything. We celebrate each other. We say, hey, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> we say, we, we just keep it real that, hey, we don't know this part. So how can I support you as you find out? right? We, we say these things all the time and it's worked so far. And I would love to see that on a larger scale in every organization. I love that. It's making me think of compassion again, and just being compassionate to one another and creating a space where yourself can come, but you also then trickle down to allow other people to come in and just be themselves. It just sounds like a a beautiful work world that I know you are working so diligently to create. And I am really excited to see you continue to do it. So thank you so much for dropping so many gems in this episode and just for bringing your realness and your authenticity to the conversation and for giving us tips on not just what we need to do, but even how we see our leaders and what our leaders need to do as well. This has been such an amazing conversation. Conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've had such a great time. And you've now I'm like, I really want to take your last question and journal on that a little bit more. Yes. Well, I had to ask you it's because so we're talking about vision. And I don't know why I felt called to ask you what's yours. So, what's yours particularly for the workplace? So, I'm so glad that you shared that. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to see it. So, Nadia. Tell us, how do we learn more about your program, your programs? How do people get in contact with you? I know a lot of people are going to want to know about your leadership program and all the deets on everything that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. So you could go to realuleadership.com. That's R-E-A-L, like keeping it real and you, Y-O-U, because that's really all we want is for everybody to be their realest selves. So realuleadership.com will have everything for corporate partners, workshops, speaking, engagements, and our 10-week group coaching program. Um, and anything else we create down the line. Um, And you can also reach me and connect with me directly on LinkedIn, where I met Jasmine. Um, It's Nadia Deala for LinkedIn, as well as Instagram. Amazing. Yeah, we'd be be on them LinkedIn streets together, just, you know, trying to change the corporate world. Well, you, the corporate world, me more so just... I don't know, messing around. <laughs> no, stop. I'm not I'm not going to let you end with that. Yes, we are both changing the face of leadership and corporate world and your work is so impactful. I refuse to let you say that. Oh, thank you. You're amazing, girl. I appreciate you. And all of the links to connect with Nadia to learn about her amazing program are all in the show notes. So everyone, please go check it out. This is the kind of work that is really going to transform you and the workplace. So thank you so much, Nadia. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, y'all. Until next time. That's all for today's show. 
Now that you know what you know, it's your move. So girl, get out there and make it. And if you have suggestions for topics you'd like me to talk about in the next episode, perhaps something that might help you get unstuck, then let me know by sending a DM on our Instagram page at her next career move. Don't forget to leave us a rating and subscribe to the show to support our movement to flood the work world with dope women of color ready to take it over.